Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. On today's episode of Find Your Voice Book Reviews, I talk with Madeline Hart, who's going to tell you about a book that I really think you're going to love. This book is not only a New York Times bestseller, and rightfully so, but as Madeline shares, it's also beautifully written, it's compelling, it has a strong sense of voice, and it addresses topics that are absolutely necessary for us in our world today. In fact, talking about the book launches Madeline and I into a fascinating discussion about the impact of the internet on our sense of self. So if you've ever wondered who you'd be if it weren't for Instagram, if you've ever thought about quitting the internet for good, and if you're curious about this idea about how individuals in our culture are really becoming brands, you're not going to want to miss this conversation. Listen to the episode, hear Madeline's take, and then I hope you'll grab your own copy of the book from the link in the show notes. Either way, enjoy this interview about Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror, Reflections on Self-Delusion. Hi there, Madeline. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Allie? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me for this. Yeah, it's so good to talk to you. It's been a while. It has. Okay, I know you have a book you want to tell us about. Can you start by telling us the title of the book? And then in a few sentences, what is it about? Yes. So the book is called Trick Mirror, and the subtitle is Reflections on Self-Delusion. It's written by Gia Tolentino, who is a millennial staff writer for The New Yorker. And it's a collection of nine essays just about her and her life. And I, I have just had such a time as I'm going through these essays, I relate to her so deeply because she came of age with the internet about the same time I did. So going back, particularly in the first essay in the book, it's called The Eye in Internet. She sort of details how how the, the internet was first introduced into her life and how much of her personality and kind of sense of self it shaped. That is so interesting to think about. I what, How old were you when the internet was introduced into your life in a major way? I would guess I was around 12. Okay. You know, I have early memories of like building my own, I'm sure really ugly web pages on like GeoCities and Angel Fire. And that's exactly what Gia <laughs> talks about in this book, in this essay. I, for me, I remember... I guess like we might be a few years apart, but I was in junior high when I remember having like an AOL messenger account Yeah, and I would like get on AOL messenger before I went to school and like, you know, the, what we would call now texting. That was what I was doing with friends. It was like ch- g- uh, chatting, I guess, with friends. But then it wasn't really until I was in college that, uh, that I really started to like that Google was a tool at our fingertips or that I started to use the internet, that Facebook became a thing. So it's interesting to think about how the internet would have a different impact on your life if it came into your world when you were 
12 or 20 or 30 or 50. Absolutely. And she talks about the internet being this mechanism for performance incentive. So it's like the internet went from being a place where you build knowledge or even kind of build your skill set within the internet to where suddenly you're taught to commoditize and market yourself. Like if you think about just how rampant social media is these days with, and you think about handles or email addresses, there's such a premium on using your actual name. Whereas, mm. you know, descriptors are kind of antiquated or even juvenile. Like my, my first email address was Sapphire stars with a Z <laughs> at yahoo.com. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so true. I hadn't thought about that, but I wonder how that's influenced us as a culture the fact that each of us are individually thinking of ourselves as our own brand, even like, you know, I'm pregnant, I have a daughter on the way due in August. And my husband and I were just talking about the other night, like wondering if we could secure her Instagram handle and her email address and all of that. It's just so fascinating. I hadn't thought about how that's a, that's a really new phenomenon. It is. And you know, the, the anecdote that came to mind for me, and you may or may not want to edit this. I don't know what you're relationship to this person is at this point, I won't drop any names, but um, I was thinking about how when we worked together in Nashville, uh, you told me about someone we worked with who every time there was a new season of The Bachelor, this person would buy up domain names of the contestants knowing <laughs> <laughs> that eventually like the, the last people who, you know, often become influencers or what have you would come to them to by their namesake. Totally. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot about that, but now I know exactly who you're talking about. So and funny. Kind Very of close, you know, like I, yeah. not that that person is like a bad person. I think, you know, there's a lot of strategy and business sense behind that, but I don't know. There's something about that just now in hindsight, I think, oof, I don't know. Yeah. 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 How did you find out about this book? What was your introduction to it? This was recommended to me by a colleague, someone I'm really good friends with. He lives here in North Carolina, so we work together quite a bit. And it actually dawned on me recently that he's, you know, in his 40s, has teenage kids and a family, and yet he's introduced me to who are now two of my favorite women authors, and they're both around my age, which I just think is kind of cool. And and with Tolentino's book speaks to how her voice and her message transcend uh, generational limits. I love that. I think there's a message in there for our listeners too, who are interested in writing a book and believe they have a message to share, but they disqualify themselves for a thousand reasons because they think, well, I could never get a publishing contract. I'm so young or uh, someone else has already written this book and they've written it better than I could. I am obviously listening through a certain lens, but one of the things I'm hearing you say is that the voice, when you really are honest about your own take and perspective on things, there's something about hearing someone's human perspective that just, it really does transcend all age and gender and race and, and all of the above. So there's value in putting our words down on the page. Absolutely. Yes. What was it that drew you to the book? Like, so all the time people hand us books or tell us and I'm like, you should read this or text. I mean, maybe it's just me. <laughs> people are always like, you should read this book. What was it that made you put all the other books aside and, and start this one? 
Well, it actually sat on my shelf for months and then just being in quarantine, I thought I have no excuse. And so I picked (laughs) it up one night and just the first essay was such a gut punch in a good way. It was like, I immediately thought of five people I wanted to recommend it to, to you included, Allie. (laughs) Amazing. So is it her writing style that makes it so compelling or is it the topic or is it some of both? It's both. She's just an incredibly sharp, tuned in, dialed in writer. She has a very strong voice and clearly a very well-developed vocabulary. But there's also this humanness to her where you kind of feel like she's your girlfriend, you know, talking yeah. to you over a glass of wine. And But there are times when you know, she's making these big sweeping points about culture and society. And I almost lose the thread of it because what she's talking about is so lofty. And yet it is, everything is accessible to me in a, in the way that I feel like, oh, I've lived this too. So even mm. when I have to slow down and kind of reread paragraphs, it all just feels so uh, familiar to me and what I've experienced in, you know, 30 years on the planet. That's great. I love it. It's the the power of a gifted writer right there. Is there a a sentence or a paragraph that you could share with us that really made an impression on you? Yeah. So I was kind of, I was looking back through this essay, trying to find one that was, I don't know, uplifting and positive. And this one is not necessarily those things. It's a bit more, I think, cautionary, but it says, the self is not a fixed organic thing, but a dramatic effect that emerges from a performance. The effect can be believed or disbelieved at will. Mm. So sense of self, your sense of self is connected to performance and how you present the world. Tell me how you connect to that quote. Like, what do you make of that? How do you interpret it? I, I suppose there are two ways you could take it. I think immediately my mind went to thinking about the younger generations and how they're interacting with the internet. And you have these apps like TikTok or you have YouTube, and it feels like everyone's kind of ambition in life is to be seen and heard um, as mm-hmm. much as possible. And it makes me wonder how much of our innate sense of self is being corrupted by that desire, that external desire to present ourselves to the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Do you have like, you know, without, I know this is asking you to be vulnerable, but like, is there any real life experience that you have where you can see a connection between those two things? I'm thinking through my own life too. I it definitely is connected like, for example, I've had the thought before that we, 50 years ago, we had the pressure to kind of keep up with the Joneses, however that quote goes. Mm -hmm. And now the Joneses are literally 50,000 people who we see on Instagram every day. It's not just keeping up with your neighbors and the car that they buy and the house that they live in and the clothes that they wear and the, but it's also, you know, keeping up with random strangers on the internet who, who, by the way, in addition to the fact that there's more, simply more people to compare ourselves to, we're also comparing ourselves to images that aren't real. Yes. Um, they're, they're snapshots of reality that have been edited and carefully framed to make them seem more impressive than they are. And so this is obviously like a very, a little bit of a doom and gloom take on the internet. I think there are a lot of really great things the internet brings into our world, but but it's it's definitely worth pondering how that might affect our sense of 
value, our sense of purpose, our sense of self-worth, our sense of satisfaction with what we have. I'm curious if anything specific comes to mind for you, how that's impacted you. Yeah. So I'm a bit of an outlier in that I've been off of social media for, I think, over two years now. And I just recognized, you know, I agree with you that the internet, there's so much good that comes with it, just the connectedness and exposure to different things and people. But there is also a cost. And what I started to recognize in myself is that I was using platforms like Instagram, like Facebook, to present this very falsely curated image of myself. And to the point where I felt like I was I was more of a brand of myself than I was my actual self. And mm. certainly that's easy to fall into. It's not to say that everyone who uses Instagram and Facebook is going to fall into that trap. But I think for me, I just recognized that it was not a, a pattern that was serving me. And so I just kind of went cold turkey and thought, you know, I would have a really tough time with it, but I really haven't looked back. Yeah. I've heard, I've had several friends who have given up social media either for a period of time or for good and who say like, I don't miss it. (laughs) It's like breaking up with a bad boyfriend or something where you're like, I don't wish I could go back. (laughs) I don't know why I stayed as long as I did. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm, this is just me asking your opinion on this, but do you think there's any value in staying engaged with what's happening on social media for, for people, for, yeah, for people of our generation. Absolutely. Because there is so much good. Have you seen on YouTube, the videos John Krasinski has been putting out weekly? No, but I should. I love him. Yes. They're called some good news. And it's just this production he's making out of his home because everyone's quarantined where He's putting out calls on the internet, like, hey, send me some good news. And those videos have made me cry, like happy cry, just because you see the beauty of human spirit and resilience. And so, yes, I do think there is so much good and potentially you're missing out on that. And there's also just the the factor of being less connected to your friends and family, you know, where I think like, oh, is is that person engaged yet? Or have they had their baby? Yeah. Yeah. You even reached out to me and said, I don't know how you did eventually find out that I was pregnant and living in California or whatever. Um, But yeah, you you mentioned in your first email to me that you're like, I've been off of social media, so I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) Until I creeped your social media and then I knew. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So you do still sign on to social media every now and then (laughs) to see what's going on. It's even creepier. So I don't have the accounts anymore. At least they're disabled. So I... (laughs) literally just in my browser window typed in your handle or Google. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I mean, I I do wonder, this is probably a longer conversation for a different podcast, but I do wonder if there's a way that we can like improve our relationship with social media and the internet over time. And even the example you gave of John Krasinski to me is an, it's an example of how, there's a person out there who is improving his relationship to social media and, and in doing so is improving the way so many of us interact with just the internet in general. Because I think one of the, another drawback that we haven't even touched on of the internet is the constant barrage of the 24 hour news cycle. Yes. You just kind of can't ever get away from all the fear messages about what terrible thing might happen next. So to have someone who's putting content out in the world Uh, reminding us of all the good that's happening is that's encouraging. 
It's really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in terms of learning to use the internet in a more healthy way and fulfilling way is one thing I try to remember is that younger generations, millennials included, which I'm a millennial, we tend to mistake outspokenness for activism. And Mm. you see this a lot, like in this essay, Gia talks about virtue signaling and how, you know, like if something big happens in the country and suddenly there's a Facebook filter for your profile picture that, you know, everyone has put on their photo. It's like you're signaling something there that I I stand with whatever or so-and-so. And I think what I have to remind myself is that, you know, outspokenness in and of itself is not a mechanism for change unless it's accompanied by real world action. Yes. Gosh, that's such a good point. It's such a good, and you know what, another thing that really drives me crazy on the internet, although I understand the sentiment behind it, but it really, really makes me crazy with social media is the idea that if I don't change my profile picture or if I don't post about something, then it means I don't care about the issue. Yeah. And I'm, I can see it from both sides. On the one hand, I understand that, especially for someone coming from a place of privilege as I am, I have to be really careful about what I, I just have to be cognizant of what I choose to share about and not share about because, you know, I have the luxury of not talking about certain issues that don't affect me nearly as much as they do other people. But at the same time, I think the assumption that's made is that simply because I didn't post about it, I didn't care about it. I'm yep. such a huge believer that words are really powerful, that if I don't have the right words to say in the moment, I'm hesitant at least, at the very least, I'm hesitant to put words up on the internet that that are not well thought through or that may not be helpful to the situation or words that come from a place of ignorance because I actually don't know exactly what's going on or whatever it is. Anyway, um, just another like really an interesting nuance of life on the internet that people didn't have to deal with 50 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, being that you're, you know, a public figure too, that factors into the equation as well. Cause you know, sometimes you see musicians make a political statement and then inevitably you have people who are, are maybe fans of theirs from the opposite side of the political spectrum saying, you know, just keep your mouth shut and make your music. And totally. <laughs> like, well, that's not the answer either, you know? Yeah, Totally. It's an interesting dilemma that you're put in if you're going to be in the public spotlight at all, which this is what's so fascinating is, again, 50 years ago, there used to be a clear line between a celebrity and a non-celebrity. And now it's a much blurrier line. It's um, yes. like, what does it mean to be a public figure? Am I really a public figure? Because I have 15,000 followers on Instagram. Who knows? But like, you know, and so then do you, how many followers do you need to be considered a public figure And at what point do you gain the responsibility of needing to speak up about something and all of those things? So it's just, it's a fascinating conversation. I'm glad that you brought this book and particularly this essay to our attention, because I think there are so many great conversations and questions this could open up for us that can, can bring a lot of healing to our sense of self and a lot of improvement to our lives. Speaking of which, I'm curious if you feel like this book and this essay in particular has created any kind of tangible change in your life? How would you define that change? You know, I think it's specifically this essay about the internet. I don't know that it's made a ton of change since I'm a little more disconnected from the internet than your average millennial at this point, but it has, it's sort of transported me back, me back into this 
era of nostalgia and just remembering Mm -hmm. how different the internet used to be. And yeah, just, I, I think appreciating what it has become, but also keeping, maintaining my, maintaining my guard and my skepticism. You know, I think more and more about, like I said, the younger generations, like when you think about your daughter and raising your daughter in a world that is completely tied into the internet, does it scare you at all? Yeah, it does. I mean, we, my husband and I have had conversations around, I would say, I I make the joke, this was our first disagreement in marriage because we don't really argue a lot, but we tend to be on the same page about a lot of things. But when he made the comment after we found out we were having a little girl, he was like, you know, I, I don't want her face on the internet anywhere. I don't want to post bath time pictures of her. I don't want to post pictures of her in her diaper. I just don't want that. I don't want like there's creeps out there. You've got a lot of people following you. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't see it that way at all. I mean, not like I'm going to post naked pictures of my daughter on the internet, but, um, (laughs) but it does bring up an interesting conversation about like, well, children don't get to choose children who are born into the year 2020 don't get a choice about whether their parents decide to put their face on the internet or not. And So by the time they're old enough to care and to make their own choice, the choice in many cases has already been made for them, which that was my husband's point. And I think it's a fair point and a really important conversation to have and for every couple and parent to make that choice for themselves and for their kids um, about how they want to do that. But it, it brought up a really fascinating conversation for us about the dangers of the internet and, and thinking through like a conversation that we'll have to have with our daughter that you wouldn't have had to have. My parents never had to have this conversation with me will be the conversation of, you know, sending pictures of yourself to other people, whether that's via text message or through the internet and just how permanent those images are and just getting her to think really carefully. And I don't know, I'm also, I'm, I'm presenting this in a very binary way. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about how the conversation might be different if we were having a boy, but all that to say what, my my intention is really just to bring up the question of what does it mean to live in a world where these are the conversations we have to have with our children that we yeah. do not have to have in another time in another place. Well, and it, to further complicate matters, the sort of court of public opinion is always changing and evolving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember when I was in college and I guess even high school, didn't really think twice about like what kinds of photos were going online. Not that there was anything particularly nefarious, but now all you hear, at least current college students, it's like, you have to be careful what you post because your future employer might see it. And, and I think posting, you know, baby pictures 10 years ago was just completely acceptable and unquestioned. And then now there's sort of this backlash of, and rightfully so when it comes to just safety and security, but people start to question those conventions and the internet is so new in the history of humanity that I think a lot of it is just kind of trial by fire. Yeah, I agree. I totally, I mean, we don't, we won't get any data or feedback for a generation, do you know? Right. <laughs> so we're just now getting feedback from the generation that was born into the internet yeah, I, it's just, it's really fascinating to think about like, you know, my nephew having access to the internet from the time he was, he doesn't, he's never lived in a world where smartphones, where the iPhone wasn't a thing. So right. it'll take us a while to get some data and feedback on what it, what that means for the shaping of a person's self and identity. I'm, I'm glad you brought this book to our attention. 
If you were talking directly to someone who's listening and you're like, I'm recommending this book to you, you have to read it. Here's why. What would be the here's why? I think, I suspect Gia Tolentino will go down in history as a voice of our generation. And you just, you kind of have to read the book to understand that. But she just has such a command of language and such insight in a way that is accessible and funny and relatable. It's really just a fantastic read. And and she is actually pregnant too. I know this from creeping on her Instagram. So um, <laughs> perhaps you'll be writing. I should follow her on Instagram. Oh, you do? Yeah. Maybe you'll have. No, um, I should. I don't so far, but I need to. I need to follow more pregnant people. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, but sh- maybe you'll be you know, writing your motherhood memoirs around the same time. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I love it. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for bringing this book to our attention. And thanks for the great conversation about the internet and our relationship to it. I think it's this conversation, even if someone doesn't go immediately pick up this book, I know this conversation is going to make all of us think. And I do recommend that if you're listening and you're like, this is fascinating, I want to know more, that you find the book, go make a purchase wherever it is that you buy books. Buy from your local bookstore if you can help it because local bookstores are really hurting right now during this time. So make a purchase from them. Thanks again, Madeline. We're really grateful for you sharing this, this gift with us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.